Welcome back to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great this week. How you doing, Donnie? I'm doing pretty good, man. I like it. Yeah. So what's uh? What do you say we just get into it? Huh? Uh, yeah, sure. We'll go straight into a question about some boat salvage yards. Ooh. Guy, he said he's looking for a hard top for his 2460 trophy, and he is in the Minnesota area. Can't find. Any salvage yards? And, uh, I know you went to one. You got a couple videos out about them. Mm-hmm. And I want to know where you went. Yeah, the only two places that I could think of is the one in Michigan, which was Checkers, and then the other one that I went to in Georgia, Lake Lanier. Now, if I were you, just since you're in Minnesota, that's quite a far way away. But what you can do is just get on Google and search for boat salvage yard or boat um, junkyard or something like that and then try and find one that's close to you kind of zoom in on the map and see what kind of boats they got there and then give them a call and see you know if you can get a t-top because that's that's exactly the place to look if you're looking for the hard top or some like big component to your boat you know a lot of these older boats say you've got a busted windshield or something like that i mean that's going to be pretty expensive to get made or to buy from the manufacturer because you know a lot of manufacturers might not make these parts anymore so these kind of pick apart junkyards are are pretty sweet but there's not very many of them Mm -hmm. um the one in lanier i mean they've it's just boats on boats on boats and yeah you just kind of go in you obviously got to sign a waiver to get in because if you, you know, slip and fall and cut yourself and because you're climbing around on all these boats that are packed into this location, you can take whatever part you want off of the boat. You take it up there and they look at it and, you know, mm-hmm. give me 20 bucks for this or 100 bucks for that or, you know, whatever. There's right obviously some negotiation there to a point. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've never actually been to a boat junkyard. How many How many have you been to? Just those two. Just the two? Yep. Did you ever find any gems there or anything that was like, wow, I can't believe I found this at a junkyard? Or, or what, do you, what, do you, what do you mainly see there? Just a bunch of pretty much broken stuff? Anything and everything. Um, some of them are more organized than others. Lanier's not very organized, but it's huge. Mm-hmm. So... Um, depending on what you're looking for. Like how big? Like did you see everything in one day or? Yeah, yeah. You could see everything in one day because, I mean, it all depends on what you really want to do. I mean, Lanier's got well over 2,000 boats. So, wow. I mean, if you're trying to get into every boat, then, yeah, you could be there for weeks. But if you're just trying to walk around and see what they got, then I did it in a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was making a video out of the whole thing, so... It wasn't too bad for me, but I wasn't really looking for something to buy right. either. I wasn't looking for a part. Do they have like, is it only boats and then you just, whatever's on the boats you take or you can get? Or do they have like sections where it's like, you know, a bunch of old parts for engines and stuff or like, like just a section of parts instead mm-hmm. of like just yeah taking stuff off a boat yeah both the two that i went to had like you know semi-trailers or stuff or containers and stuff like that okay. where they've got you know it all lower units in this one fuel tanks in this one seats and cushions in another one steering components in one hydraulic systems like 
you know, that some of them are more organized than others. But then there's also the part where it's just the yard and they're just crammed in there. You know, some yeah. of them have like a boat with a boat on top of it. Like they brought it in and just dropped it there, you know. So it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, a lot of them you kind of think, well, how in the world are you going to get a boat out of here if you wanted it? Yeah. But I don't know if any if they're really unloading the boats as far as most of them are just to be picked apart. Like a lot of them were, you know, in a fire or in a car accident or, mm-hmm. you know, some extensive damage to the boat where maybe they had insurance on it and just got totaled out, taken to the yard, and that was it. You know, there it sits, and now the you know the yard owner um, just, you know, mm-hmm. lets people buy whatever they might want to get off of the boat. It's a, it's a cool place to see a lot of different brands and a lot of different boats all in one place. And how did you how did you hear about those places? Because obviously we're in Florida, and the two you went to, one of them was where you said Michigan, mm-hmm. and the other Checkers, one in, and the other one in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Why why did you go to those? I have no idea. You know, um, sometimes I just get it come up with an idea because I'm sitting around trying to think of you I know mean, content. You know, being Florida, I'd imagine there's plenty of salvage yards down here. Right? There's not really. Yeah, I mean there's. There's Don's, which is over in the Tampa area, I believe, on the West Coast. There's Marine Liquidators, which is in like the Fort Pierce, PSL, Stewart. I'm not down there somewhere, um, mm-hmm. just south of us. And I don't know of a whole lot of other ones. And those aren't even real salvage yards. Those are more like... Where do you think all the, all the hurricane boats went? A lot of those went to insurance places like... Um, I think Cooper Capital is one of them, and diff- different yards where they stack them up. I mean, like down in Marathon, they just got put at the golf course for a while, you know. I mean, they just kind of find a place where they can stack all these boats when they pull them out of the water, and then... Do you think they ever end up at a salvage yard, or...? I'm sure a lot of them do. Okay, yeah. I'm wondering, like, they can't just hold on to them forever. They probably just eventually... Mm-hmm funnel them out into the salvage yards and mm-hmm. well, I think they go through an auction process where you know people can come in and bid on different boats they auction off whatever they can auction off and then I'm sure there's you know some kind of a time period on it whether you know 60 90 180 days or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and then after that point then they start looking around to transporting them and dumping them somewhere yeah yeah I can't imagine there being a whole lot to buy at an auction for Hurricane, it's as far as hurricane boats, you know. I um, might, I'd love to go and buy a hurricane boat at an auction. Okay, yeah. I mean, there might be some good ones, some that, that mm-hmm. handle, handle the hurricane pretty well, but, mm-hmm. but you'd pretty much just be looking for a hull. Yeah, I'd be looking yeah. for the hull that's got, you know, not too much cosmetic damage as much as, oh, it was completely underwater or something like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, at this point in time, most of the engines aren't going to be salvageable just because of the computers and the injectors and all the electrical components that were underwater. Mm-hmm. And then things didn't run for, you know, however long since a hurricane. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff wouldn't be bad. But for a, a super nice haul, like newer haul, that you maybe have to do a little bit of glass work here, put an engine on it, rewire it. I mean, yeah, you can have a really nice, really nice boat. Yeah, I mean, come to think of it, 
hurricanes, you know, they're, they are boats at the end of the day, so they handle it, mm-hmm. you know, better than most things did in the hurricane. I remember my uncle had like an Edgewater or something, and, and it was on a trailer, but somehow like it, it just didn't float. So they got a whole bunch of water in the fuel tank and everything, but, but I think they just drained the fuel tank and drained all the fuel that was in the engine out and, mm-hmm. and the engines cranked right up, started up and <laughs> the boat was good to go. He's still running it today. And That's awesome. That was Irma. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Irma was bad. He had in his same front yard, there was another boat from down the street <laughs> where I, it must've not been secured well enough or something, but it, it got picked up by the surge and then dropped into his front yard over the fence and everything he had one of them chain link fences yeah so yep yep it stayed wow. well enough yeah yeah That's pretty was, impressive yeah it was pretty funny it was pretty funny showing up and seeing that <laughs> <laughs> hey free boat <laughs> yeah as far as the junkyard goes um i mean it's a good place if you've got an older boat and you need windshield something like that you can you can definitely pick that component up but as far as locating one you just got to kind of find one that's close to you, call them and say, Hey, I'm looking for this. Mm-hmm. And they might be like, Oh, I've got it. Or I might have it or I don't. Or, yeah. you know, at least you can start the conversation. You're going to have to put some search into it, you know? Yeah. Especially just, since they're so few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely something where you're going to have to do some leg work to get in there. But I mean, I wouldn't mind even doing a video of going to one of these junkyards and, and picking one out and doing a, you know. Can you build a running boat out of nothing but junkyard parts? Yeah, the graveyard build. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Something like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. Yeah. But what do you think the, the chances are that he finds that particular hardtop? Do you think there's enough? Mm, actually, I mean, inventory? since he's got, you know, we're talking about a trophy. So we're talking about a bayliner. Yeah. Um. There's quite a few. I mean, the those yards are full of it because the Bayliner is a production boat. Mm. So that's another thing about, like, the one in Michigan. There are a ton of, like, bow riders, Bayliners, rinkers, stuff like that, you know, that are built up in that area. And because those are production line boats, um, there's just so many of them. So, I mean, I'd say 50-50, if not higher, 60-40, something like that. As far as finding one, I mean the the hard top though, because most of those boats up there in those lakes are bow riders and you know ski boats. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily or little cuddy cabins stuff like that. They're not really, you know, center consoles. Um, yeah. So hit or miss, kind of. Just kind of a search. Well, good luck to you in that search for your hard top. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we're gonna move on. Somebody asked about, on the prop chatter video, he said he's got some prop chatter on his 70-horse Yamaha engine, and how much would it cost to, to fix that problem? So what causes prop chatter? Well, a couple different variable th- variables there. Um, he's got prop chatter on a 70. Is it an F70 or a two-stroke 70? Let's assume it's an F70, but either way, they're both pretty... Yeah, in, I mean, they're you know one's a one's an inline four. The F is an inline four, and the regular is an inline three. Mm-hmm. They're still both pretty unbalanced motors. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, definitely. That's where I was going to go. Is um, kind of talking about the balancing of an engine, where that prop chatter comes from. You know, a portion of it is definitely in the hub, 
so they do make different hubs uh, that'll try and dampen out the rattle that you'll get out of the prop when it's in gear like if you just in gear at idle mm -hmm. um, because the rpms are lower you're going to get more of a chatter and so they make special hubs like you know an sds hub or um, mercury makes a hub too that it kind of dampens between the prop shaft and the actual prop itself yeah which kind of cushions that to get rid of that chatter now what causes the prop chatter is yeah like you said a lot of it is in the the balancing of the engine mm -hmm. um you know an inline engine is physically unbalanced that's well, why an inline four to be specific I mean, anything but an inline six because the inline six is actually a really naturally yeah. balanced engine right yeah i would say that that the inline six is maybe one of the most balanced Probably. harmonically like I've always Physically. heard it's the most, yeah, naturally balanced. Like it doesn't need any counterweights or anything. It's just mm -hmm. a balanced engine. So, yeah, so really. But would that be the only one of the inlines? Like, what about an inline five? You know, not that you see that in. Mm, I would say, world, but how, no. how does the balance compare? Because I know inline fours are some of the worst balanced mm -hmm. engines. Like they're just. They're real, especially like you know, you see them on the back of of your of your boat. I don't think I've ever seen a stable four cylinder engine. They're no. always vibrating. On, they're always on soft motor mounts and vibrating. Yeah, and Shaking. I assume they have those soft motor mounts because of how unbalanced they are, so that it absorbs. Well, it probably helps with some of the. Oh, 100 percent. A lot of those in all those inline fours have harmonic balancers, or they have they have a balancer built onto the engine. I mean. Mm -hmm. When we talk about being balanced, you're talking about the distribution of the weight and you've got a crankshaft that's spinning in a circle. So that circles 360 degrees mm -hmm. and you got a piston that's going up and down off of that crank, which is, you know, just a straight back and forth motion, whereas the crank's going around 360 degrees. And, you know, if you put two of them in a V configuration, you know, they're going back and forth like this, which is putting stress on that crank, which, you know, that's the, the balancing of it. Mm -hmm. So like an inline six, you've got, you know, six pistons and that going around. Well, they run the pistons together. So like the number six and number one run together and number um, five and two run together, three and four run together. So that way... You know, from the first piston to the sixth piston, they're both at the top of the rotation at the same time, and they're at the bottom at the same time. Same thing for these. And 360, I'm pretty sure they put them 120 degrees apart. So if you take 360 degrees, which is that circle, and you divide it by three, because there's three sets, mm -hmm. it's 120 degrees. Right. And so... So there's a set of pistons at every 120 degrees, mm -hmm. keeping it... Keeping balanced. it balanced. So, like, you know, with these two at the top and, you know, I, I don't know if it goes like this or if it goes like that. You know, like if mm -hmm. if the two outside ones are all the way at the top and the insides are all the way at the bottom and this the middle one in the middle or if it the middle and the inside are reversed. I'm not really sure about that, but I definitely know that the physics of it is that, you know, if these two are at the top and it goes down together. Mm -hmm. then the stress on the crank going around is balanced. Whereas if you look at like a inline four or an inline three, 
when this one's at the top and this one's at the bottom, you know, this, this is pulling away from the crank and this is pushing into the crank. So it's like, it's like trying to rip the crank apart, you know, which creates that shake and you got to balance it out. And, you know, there's no good way. What's 360 divided by four. I mean, it's not really, there's not really a way to balance it out. Like there is with six cylinders because on the three, it's 90 degrees when you divide is it 360 by four which mm. you'd think is a you'd think but for whatever reason it doesn't <laughs> i mean yeah. i'm not a physical engineer but yeah i couldn't tell you all the physics and the science behind why but i just know the inline sixes are very balanced engines inline fours are not but so that is that directly what leads to the prop chatter every time or well or? yeah a lot of that is because of that um you know, the force of the piston on the crank and that imbalance then goes down the drive shaft down to the lower unit. And um, like Yamaha on their lower units, they've got those three washers that like have a spring thing on it to try and keep that, the pinion gear up off of the, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, the forward uh, and reverse gears. Yeah, to prevent from chatter that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but so as far as like his problem though, you know, I assume he didn't have prop chatter before, and now it's just come up out of nowhere. Would that be because his hub yeah, went his, out? Is his, his hub could be worn? Are we sure worn? that Are we sure that he didn't have any prop chatter? Because I mean, when well, have I you ever seen any seventy horse not? You know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The way he phrased it was um, was that it's his seventy horse is doing it right now. Just mm. said, my 70 horsepower is doing that right now. How much would it cost to fix it? I'd say put a hub in it, um, and that's about the best you can do. As long as everything, you don't have any other kind of mechanical issues or that, you know, those washers and stuff in the on top of the impeller are, you mm-hmm. know, put in properly. But, I mean, for the most part, I, that's an, I, I like this question because now I, it makes me think, like, I wish I could have somebody that – you know, actually knows about physics and engineering and could, you know, tell us why, you know, why is that, that, you know, mm-hmm. that three cylinder, you would think that the three cylinder or the four, you know, just doing math I that guess, we don't really know sounds like it could be balanced. I but. guess it, it, well, I think the four, cause you got to run them in pairs. So I don't know that four inline fours fire in pairs. Mm, I think they, they do, which most of them do. Hmm. So, no, yeah, because they've got Siamese coils on them. So you got waste spark. So on the four cylinder, you got a Siamese coil with waste spark. So, you know, one cylinder's at top dead compression, the other's at top dead exhaust. Okay. So they are running together. Hmm. So the, the so the weight, you know, you got the two insides going. Yeah, because it's one and four, two and three. That's that's your your you know ignition coil and your spark and you got waste spark so yeah you've got two at the top and two at the bottom it's like trying to rip the crank in half mm-hmm. you know because these are pushing out so it's pulling so if you got your crank like this you got two pistons pulling on the top and the bottom and you got two pushing on the in middle and it like yeah physically is imbalanced yeah I don't I mean. It's hurting my head just thinking about the <laughs> the science. You know, I, I just fix the things. I don't <laughs> I don't I guess I've never put any 
thought into the science behind yeah behind why i just you know it is what it is and here's why uh yeah. loosely one's an inline six one's an inline four this mm-hmm. balanced imbalanced prop chatter if he's had it the whole time then i don't know it must be a pretty new 70 horse if he's just yeah asking about it you know or if he just uh, got a service and those um that wave washer didn't get put on it has that that kind of lower unit too is it for i'm pretty sure all those yamahas do. all the smaller ones yep you got yeah. the metal collar with the plastic ring and then the three spacers mm-hmm. the flat the wavy and the flat yeah because yeah. the the newer like bigger ones they don't they don't have any of that stuff right no no the yeah once you get to the six aws and uh yeah no the no, six nine j's no mm-hmm. yeah the six aws 65s do mm-hmm. not yeah. the six aws 65s do six aws do not okay right yeah but that would be the only other thing causing any chatter but would that be prop chatter or is it technically pinion like, isn't the pinion gear dropping down now and chattering at low RPMs if those were forgotten? Yeah. I mean... Or would it still be considered prop chatter? I just don't know. I guess I haven't heard it, like, happening. Um, It's a good question. I can't really... Now mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to think, Um, you know... Well, you know, just for his sake... How much would it cost? Let's say... Put a hub in it. Yeah. Most likely, your problem mm-hmm. would be a hub. Yeah. Hub's probably worn because well, a, a lot of those engines just naturally have prop chatter, but the hub is what... Yeah, dampens is that. What dampens it and gets that... I do want to say that there are some engines, I don't know if the 70s one, where there is a flash that will raise the RPMs. Um, at idle. Not the RPM, but yeah, the RPM uh, at idle... It'll raise that up like a hundred. I think you can go all the way up to nine hundred, and um, maybe it's eight eight fifty. I think it's nine hundred. You can go all the way up to like nine hundred mm-hmm. to help you know get rid of that chatter. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, because as you rev it up, it. Yeah, it goes away. Mm-hmm. Well, now now you've got you know the load of the boat forcing the prop back. Yeah. So. Yeah. So there's not really. No, that's true. Yeah, it's an interesting. An interesting topic to get into, mm-hmm. but one that could lead to a lot of a lot of headaches <laughs> trying to wrap your head around the science. If you start thinking of why, I'd say throw a, a hub in it. What's a hub cost? Mm, some of them are kind of expensive. A couple hundred bucks, I think, for, for some of the SDSs. Really? Couple yeah. Hundred? I mean, jeez. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I guess it also. Oh. Probably, probably like a hundred bucks or so. I, I'm guessing, if not, maybe a hundred, two hundred, somewhere in there. Dang, yeah, a couple hundred bucks. Um, yeah, I mean, that's um, it depends. I I don't know the t- the price right off the top of my head. I'm now I'm now stuck thinking about the um, the pinion and the and the prompt chatter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the difference is and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I well, mean, you know, you learn so much stuff that you eventually start forgetting things, especially when you get into thinking yeah. about why stuff some of those things though it's like do you even is it even worth taking up the bandwidth knowing those differences (laughs) i mean i think so to a point i mean you know obviously there is a bunch of useless information that you know it's cool to know but it's not gonna i mean how often do you you will it it make you better 
as a technician, I guess it'd be yeah, the ultimate yeah, I question. Guess understanding why, you know, knowing exactly what it is that they could, but I don't know. I don't think it's something I want to dive too too deep into. Well, I think you need to have the the separation of practical application versus just straight information. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, people that are really really good at Jeopardy. I mean, a lot of that information is just. That's all it is. But, yeah. I mean, being 2023, I mean, you have Google. So why mm-hmm. do you Yeah. Why you do you need Google it? Right like now. You're, you, you basically become a walking encyclopedia that's just full of information that's yeah. like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. No, well, you know, buy yourself a new hub, and I hope that fixes your prop chatter issue. Um, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. But we also put out that video with the NEMA, and we had quite a couple couple questions of, you know, that whole NEMA thing. A lot of people saying that it really helped them out for diagnosing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess the first question that I have that somebody else had is, why do we call it NEMA when it's spelled N-M-E-A? Because I heard uh, in a class that I took about it and about electronics and stuff, that NEMA is a whole another organization. <laughs> Technically, yeah. we're saying the wrong thing. Yeah, the National Marine Electronics Association. I mean, I mean, actual NEMA and EMA is like something completely different. And when we're saying NEMA, oh really? It doesn't refer to NMEA. What is um, NEMA? I don't know. I something entirely different. But um, yeah, it's. NEMA, I guess I guess we just say it that way because it's a, an easier way to say it. You know, it, it's close enough. Just move around a couple letters, and it's better than saying NMEA every time. Yeah, we're looking at the NMEA network. NMEA, NMEA. Say that five times faster. The National Electrical Manufacturers Association. Ah, see? I don't know. I mean, and we don't go by them. We no, don't, we don't go by their standards. <laughs> we go by the National Marine Electronics Association standard. Yeah, I have no idea. You know, I mean, I think I, I, everybody calls it that, so that's what I call. I mean, like, I think it's just for for simple ease of yeah. saying it. You know, nobody wants to say NMEA NMEA every time they bring it up. Yeah, although you could get it down pretty easily now. Now that I'm thinking about it. NMEA. It doesn't sound the same. <laughs> it doesn't. I think we love acronyms. That's what it is. is people love, you know, it's like the cool, it's like the cool kids thing. Like all the cool kids are saying it. Man. And now you're like a cool kid. Nobody's saying NEMA <laughs> except boat mechanics. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but what, what mechanic have you been around that, you know, actually for, by and large, when you're working on the boat, you're in the boat and you're talking about something, do you say the NMEA? Or never. I mean, everybody says never. NEMA. It's NEMA 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Give me the I, NEMA, the, the, NEMA only, the only time someone's ever said NMEA is when we took the installers yeah. course and the instructor made that um, difference, difference very clear. He was like, it's not NEMA, it's NMEA. And he proceeded to call it that mm-hmm. through the entire course, which kudos to him. He's, he's saying it right. We're all just being a bunch of lazy... Son of guns. Grease monkeys over <laughs> yeah. here. Just like. Yeah. Um, yep. Someone also asked um, about 
the difference between having like a bunch of individual tees and like those, there's a lot of multi mm -hmm. uh, port, I guess, buses you would call them. Like, yeah. a, like that's what we use the most, I think, is, oh, 100%. is the ones that have four out at the bottom. It's, it's better in terms of, you know, f flexing and everything because mm -hmm. that's a big, that's a big thing that could cause resistance is a bad connection between these individual tees mm -hmm. and sometimes people will put them in bad spots and bend them. Uh, I think those four-way connectors are a lot better in terms of reliability, you know? Well, every connection point is just another spot for a failure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, if you're fixing a wire and you're hooking it up, you know, you don't just do buck connector, wire, buck connector, wire, buck connector, wire, buck connector, you know, every one of those connection points is a potential failure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about the four ways. You know, that's what we use the most of are those trunk, you know, the four way boxes. I mean, it's also kind of perfect because four is the right number. You got, you know, a spot for clean power. You got a spot for two devices to talk to each other and you get a spare for if you're adding another one. So, mm -hmm. um, and then like you said, uh, it's easier for rigging because it's a lot smaller. Whereas the other one, you've got one, two, three, four connections. Like you're eliminating More three spread of them. out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, it's definitely the way to go. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, if you know, if you've got a, if you got a choice to choose between yep. individuals and those four ways, it'll be better in every way. Um, yeah, that's what we but, put in everything. I mean, and a lot of times we'll go into boats too. And if there's like, if it, yeah, if, if it looks like, like some of them are in, in pretty rough shape too, we can, we'll always like take them out. Hey, you know, you should probably just put this in there. It'll, it'll make, you know, rigging it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. it, it just, it'll be better for you. You know, you have less resistance in the long run cause there's less connection points places for it to fail. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good on that. Well, and another speaking on those connections, mm -hmm. people asked about why didn't we put any like dielectric grease or spray it with some kind of anti. Mm. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I I or don't would think you do that. I wouldn't put anything in there, um, mainly because I mean it's such a small gauge. It's a really small connection point, and it's for data. It's not like an electrical current. I mean, it's an electrical current, but it's it's for data. It's it's not a it's not a you know power source. So it's not right. powering something. It's trying to communicate. So I just wouldn't. I mean, you don't you don't put grease on your USB drives and then stick them in your computer. So yeah, I mean. I don't know if there's really a right answer or a wrong answer there. I don't do it, and I don't really know. I don't think it would hurt anything if you did. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like data lines are different. It's like a network cable. You don't put you don't put you know grease on your Ethernet cables and then stick them in the Ethernet port. Yeah, I don't know, but th th those are also different types of connectors they're not they're not exposed to the same kind of um you know environment that these mm -hmm. NEMA connections are exposed to so well i'm pretty sure what did they call it the the I've rating never, 
The what? What's the rating that they put for NMEA connectors? <laughs> Don't, you dare. They, Don't you start no, now? No, because there there is like a rating. So the way that plug was designed, and you screw it together, and it's got that O ring in there. They call it like an IP an IP rating. I or, think it's IP sixty seven. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Like there's a it's a watertight rating. So honestly. You know, and all your backbones, by and large, are in dry locations. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that you're really talking about needing this watertight. I mean, it is a watertight connection, but adding that grease. It would just, is, be, it would just be redundancy for no reason, pretty much. Adding yeah, this stuff. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've never seen it done. I've never seen anybody spray anything into the connectors or put any dielectric yeah. grease. You know, it's... Like you said, it's a watertight seal, so mm -hmm. just make sure you got your O-ring in there. Yep. And, you know, tighten it up properly and as deep in as it goes and tighten her down. Because, you know, even even if you look in the books or an instructor would be telling you, they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell you to put dielectric grease or mm -hmm. spray any kind of solvent in there. I think it, for me, it boils down to the data. You know, is is it a data line or is it a power line? And like even like Mercury manuals and stuff, it says, you know, on all those like terminators and all that communication stuff, it says not to put, you know, any kind of grease or anything in those connectors. And I okay, guess, well, you know, if Mercury's saying that, then it's probably safe to assume that you shouldn't that the NEMA. You know, would also not. I mean, mm -hmm. I I couldn't tell you if, if they do or or don't tell you specifically not to put any of that stuff on there. But but you'd think the systems are similar enough that if one brand is for sure, you can for sure say that Mercury says don't put any of that stuff on there, right? Yeah, yeah. Then it's probably just not a good idea to to put it on any of that stuff. Just make sure you have good connections, dry connections, and mm -hmm. and you know test accordingly. But but no, don't think that spraying anything or adding anything to those connections will benefit yeah. the connection at all. So, um, data lines can get finicky. Yeah. Yeah. But there were a lot of people too saying that they hadn't, they hadn't, I, well, was there people that said they hadn't heard of NEMA until, or they knew nothing about NEMA and like the video was pretty informational. So, so oh. that was, so that was cool, you know? Yeah. That's Just, definitely nice. That we could help out, be mm -hmm. informational. Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, we're really trying to get it down to, like, we've got some pretty big projects that are going to be coming out. So there's going to be a lot of content that we put out. But I think we're trying to, what we're really trying to do is dial in to be able to make videos like that, that kind of, like, give, like, a daily, like, this is what we do. Like, this is what we did today. You mm -hmm. know, the job is this. And it, and it not necessarily having to be like a full video of step-by-step step through the whole pro like this process, but as the, the life of a mechanic and what we see and what we work on and what we touch, being able to bring a portion of that out as a piece of content and then also be bringing in those rebuilds and bigger, funner projects of like doing fun stuff, like trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff with different engines and brands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they say that because that's exactly what we're trying to do is, is bring, you know, some informational stuff to be like, you know, this is how this works and this is kind of how you test it. And 
Um, I mean, anything like that is going to help people like, cause that's a big problem. People have all the time is, Oh, my electronics aren't talking or I lost my GPS or, you know, my VHF isn't mm-hmm. working right. And it's probably something that people are really intimidated about. Like they just don't even, mm-hmm. you know, they don't realize how simple the system really is. Mm-hmm. So they just don't even bother with it. And, you know, sometimes that's the better choice to make if, you know, if you're not feeling confident going into something then you know, probably don't mess with it too much because you, you could just end up making it worse. Yeah. But, but I feel like with that video we showed that it's really not, not as big a deal to, to diagnose and, and just check the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that was able to help. Yeah. But, well, like if your electronics aren't communicating, a lot of times, you know, that clean power fuse is popped. So you just go find that backbone, find the power wire, which is usually yellow, and there's your fuse. Mm-hmm. The power wire is yellow? A lot of them, yeah. Well, you mean the, the sheathing around the... Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Like, yeah, not like, I mean, yeah, it's a yellow... No, I meant, because it wouldn't yellow be ground? It is, but that's, you know, the power for the backbone, that cable is usually yellow. And then it splits into... Mm-hmm into the power and ground, which would be black, black and, red. and red. Yep. Okay. Right. Um, come on, Donald. No, I just, <laughs> just making sure what you were saying. Speaking of diagnosing, uh, somebody had a question about their two stroke. Um, what was it the temp gauge? I think they yeah, had the coolant gauge. They were mm. saying that their, um, their two stroke would run right in the middle at when it was cold. So I assume like right. freshly when it starts and then, as he revved up past two grand, it would, um, the, the needle would move towards the hot. Um, and he said that it's peeing fine and the telltale doesn't feel too hot or anything. Well, what do you, what do you think I don't know. Is, it, is it how high does it go? I mean, it's going to go, it's going to get hotter and go towards the H to a point. Right. He, but well, he's saying it's right in the middle of the C and the H when mm-hmm. it's cold, I think is what he was how he worded that so if that's how he worded that and it's going up as he revs i assume he means too close to the h for comfort probably closer than it was mm-hmm. before um what do you think would be causing that it doesn't you know if you've depending on how long you've been running it like that it's probably not actually getting hot i'd say yeah start by taking a temp gun to the sensor and, and seeing if it's Oh, but it doesn't tell you numbers on the gauge. Uh, I would look up the spec, you know, and hopefully it comes up online. Look up the spec for the mm-hmm. coolant temp on that particular engine and then aim a temp gun at the coolant sensor and see if it's, you know, about in that range. And if it is, then then your gauge is either reading wrong. Or the sensor. Could be a bad gauge. Yeah, I'd, you know, could be the sensor. But But if you can get the spec, you can probably do, you know, a test on the sensor yeah so you know I, I think most of them are resistance tests so at a specific temperature check the resistance of the sensor mm-hmm. and see if it's in spec see if it's in spec and if it is um maybe try running a wire yeah you can run a wire deck. yeah depending on which it all depends on which engine and which um you know spec but uh, yeah yeah you could try running a wire um, yeah, he said it's a 2007 uh, 152 stroke, so probably an Opti, right? Mm. 2007 152 stroke? 
How long did Mercury make a... I don't know. Anything but an Opti. He said it's a Mercury? Yeah. Mercury too? Then, yeah, it's probably an Opti. And... Most likely that gauge. Because if it's getting hot, he's going to have some alarms. If it's a 2007 Opti, he's going to have some alarms Mm -hmm. and it's going to be telling you something if it's getting hot. So most likely it's the gauge or the, or the wire, you know, feeding that gauge, but Mm -hmm. you just test that. Yeah. I guess I didn't think of that either. We'd probably be throwing an alarm if internally it saw Mm -hmm. that it was getting hot. Like, cause those things have a computer on them and everything, right? Oh, hundred percent. Capable of smart craft and Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. So, so he probably just doesn't have smart craft on the boat. It's an analog gauge, and mm-hmm. it's going out of whack. Yeah, probably the gauge is just going out. Yeah, not reading right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's new zero is the middle. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's new cold is the middle. So Yeah. So it's probably just that. But um, also, there was somebody who brought up that HPDI and said something about... The spark plugs. Here, let me. He said that the HPDI doesn't fire on all cylinders, and it on, the spark plugs only show the run state of the last spark. Is that true? I never. I mean, too. What, what does he mean of of the last spark? The last occurrence. So, like the last time the it sparked. But so it can go from a normal looking plug to a fouled plug in one spark cycle? I mean, if you take a set of spark plugs and put it in a, into a, a two-stroke and go out and run it, I mean, after the first time, you're going to have wear on it. It's not going to look like a brand-new white plug. So, um, I mean, no matter no matter what, that plug, that, that wasn't firing at all. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah... The HPAs drop out, I think, two and five at idle. Um, so true, but you're not going to have five plugs that all have that much wear on them, mm-hmm. and then have one that's yeah. like straight brand new white, like it's never been fired. Yeah, because and if that ever. was if that was the the case too, then the number two cylinder, being that it doesn't fire at idle too, right, would look the same. You know, if that's yeah, what you're bringing up. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, in that in that instance of that case, you know, we did the we just did a spark test on it, and yeah. that's kind of how we came to that. Because when you pulled the plug out, um, it was I mean, it looked like a brand new plug mm-hmm. compared to all the other ones were were dirty and fouled fl- and clearly, run clearly and, worn. Um, yep. What about that told you that that cylinder wasn't sparking? Because you, you pretty quickly I mean, thought, so oh, it's not sparking. Yeah, the, I mean, the plugs... Because that's not like something you could Google. Like, it, it doesn't really come up on Google if your plugs... Oh, you Googled that? <laughs> yeah, because like, <laughs> it was the first time I'd heard of, uh, like, the plug being washed out. Yeah. And um, that I mean, being, it looking like that because it's not sparking. Yeah, if you take a plug, you know, in, in a com- combustion cylinder mm-hmm. and it never ignites you're never going to have you know it's not going to build up carbon right because there's no combustion happening yeah and you're just putting fuel on the plug and fuel cleans i mean no matter what i mean 
Yeah, it, it cleans. So if you put fuel, like if you got grease on your, you know, boat or whatever, and you take a rag, put fuel on it, and wipe it off, it's going to clean mm-hmm. that off. So, um, yeah, it's um, it was a pretty telltale because you can tell what a spark plug looks like. A spark plug, you know, you can tell if it's worn, yeah. if it's black, that's fouling. Like, you know, if it's wet, it's getting you know too much too much oil, or it's or it's not sparking. But yeah, and it's see, having residual on that's it. That's why I guess um, like a wet foul. Because yeah, wet like being I, I expected it to be wet if it's not um, sparking. But did we run it before? Yeah, we ran it before. It's we didn't run it. I mean, well, we started it. Yeah, but you're right. We just fired it and <laughs> yeah, fired it and see if it kick off. There's no water there, so mm-hmm. we couldn't we couldn't run it out. We but, couldn't run it. But exactly. he, he's definitely complaining about. You know there being a, a a loss of power yeah really we took the spark plugs out and just noticed that that one was mm-hmm. perfectly clean and that's when you brought it up that that it's getting washed out mm-hmm. and you know it was probably dry because it hadn't been ran yeah because you know let's say you'd just gone out and ran the thing it would probably be a little wet when you took it it'd right be out. wet yeah if you okay. if you ran the engine see that's probably in my head what what i wasn't because it was because it was dry i was like yeah. man this is it looks like somebody just put a new plug in there yeah you know, it, so it was it was a little weird for me but that makes a lot of sense now um yeah he said perhaps your neutral switches out but really that wouldn't have that wouldn't have anything to do with it in this case we like you said we did we did the spark test yeah yeah and um and you know sure sure enough that cylinder wasn't wasn't firing so there was, there was no spark coming out of that that ignition coil so that that led us pretty quickly to there being an ignition coil out. Yeah, I mean that's that's more of a. I mean, we obviously checked the harnesses and and everything and made sure that it wasn't the wiring. But I think that's just back to the basics of diagnostics. You usually want to go to a visual inspection mm-hmm. and do the simple things first. Yeah, you know, you don't want to go straight to the extreme of you know this massive electrical troubleshooting diagnostic when yeah you know. It's sitting there looking you at the in the face. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because you can you can chase a rabbit, especially on older engines and in general engines, because you know it's an engine and mm-hmm. things wear, things do. I mean, it's not a perfect world, yeah. so you're always going to find different anomalies when you're looking at stuff. So looking for a visual inspection and looking for something that's like out of place, like blatantly different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Over, over the time too, I've learned that plugs can lead you down some real bad Mm -hmm. rabbit hole chases. Just if you don't immediately pull one out and and take a look at them, you Mm -hmm. know, or pull them all out and take a look at them. I'd say it's quick. It's a quick and easy enough thing to do that. Mm -hmm. And a spark plug tells you so much. Yep. about how the engine's running, you know, oh, just, yeah. just by looking at it. So pulling them out as the first thing you do when you got the cowling off might not be such a bad idea, you know, when mm-hmm. diagnosing a running issue. There have been too many times where I have, I mean, thrown the book at, at, a, at a, like a particular misfire where it wasn't happening at idle. It would only happen uh, under load. You know, mm-hmm. for example, it was, it was on an older Verado L6 and only under load it would misfire. Yep. You know, it's a little hard to be back there while you're running this boat and doing a cylinder drop test. So mm-hmm. 
So I was checking fuel pressure. I was, you know, check everything. I just, and, and I was on it for way too long. <laughs> I'll just say that. Because <laughs> I'd pulled a plug out originally and thought like, hmm, you know, that plug, it doesn't look, but I only pulled one plug out. I'm like, it doesn't look Ooh. that bad. You know, and I was like, man, this was early on in the, yeah. in, in my, my days at the marina too. And then eventually I just, I pulled them all out and they all looked, you know, not necessarily good. But, but chalky. But like, yeah. You that know, like, cakey, chalky look. Mm-hmm, and I was like, I'm going to throw a set of plugs in this thing. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was as simple as throwing the set of plugs and bang, it was all fixed. It, it leads, it led me down way too much of a chase, but I learned my lesson there. Mm-hmm. That was, luckily it was early enough in my career yeah. that I was able to learn my lesson about spark plugs there. They are. Yeah. I mean, you get the easiest thing to look at for and, and running issue. You got to put the right ones in too. I mean, mm-hmm. you hear stories of people putting the wrong plugs in the yeah. engines. Like you've got to put the right plugs in. And, mm-hmm. and it happens a lot when people try to do it themselves. They're, they're like, they're like cheaping out on, you know, I've seen where someone gets a whole job done, but they're like, you know, I'll, let me do the, the spark plugs. Cause yeah. Cause they don't want to pay you to, yeah. <laughs> to get the plugs and do the plug. They're just like, I'll do that myself. It's just spark plugs. How could I mess that up? Yep. And then they put the wrong plugs in it. <laughs> and then, and then oh, they call you misfiring. They're, they're calling you like, Hey, you know, I've got, I've got this bad misfire and you were the last one to work on my uh-huh. engine. Yep. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're the one who put the plugs in. Should you check the plugs? Did you do it? Yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, I, I've, I've got a story of, um, a, a buddy of mine that same thing, like he does a lot of his own stuff and, and he's a good mechanic too. Mm-hmm. And he got bit by that one time, you know, like he was offshore fishing and, um, his engine just shut off, like just shut off. And he brings it, you know, by the time he brings it to me, usually he's already done that. Like he's, he's not really that cheap. I mean, he's, he's fine throwing money around Mm -hmm. and so he usually if he comes to me it's like i've already put plugs in it i've already changed fuel filters i've already done this i've already done that and and so he brings it to me i'm like all right i'll I'll look at it and see what's going on and so i stop by look at it plugs are already out and that kind of stuff and i'm I'm like do compression tests leak down all the stuff fuel i'm like do there check codes like there's nothing wrong with this engine you know and then i look at the plugs i'm like dude put some plugs in it man like this thing is like the plugs were shot and and it wouldn't run because the plugs were so you know fouled out right it was the was it the wrong plugs no it was the right plugs it was just they hadn't been changed in 600 hours he he had them pulled out and everything yeah 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 pulled i'm like hmm. looking down i'm like dude i mean like like were they so bad that like you should probably notice it oh yeah because wow that's hmm. But, you know, I mean, I mean, you can overlook stuff, too. But, yeah, but you said he's he changes his own parts and stuff. Like oh, yeah. He, yeah. If he's changed a spark plug, he knows what a new spark plug looks like. I, I mean, mean, if it's shot, fouled he'll, out. He'll write it out, though. He's the kind of person that's just going to write. Like, he's going out. He's doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, I've seen. There's a lot of the, there's a lot of those boaters. <clears throat> like, like he, he'll put service off sometimes. I've seen one time put service off so long that the oil pressure on the engine was like 20 on like a Verado. I'm like, he's like, Oh man, this thing's not got I've lost all this power. I don't know what's going on here. I'm like, look, you got 20, 20 PSI on oil pressure. And, um, 
What I did. You changed it. Well, that was the thing. The the filter's all rusty. I'm like, did you need to change the change oil filters back up to sixty? It's like, oh man, you're killing me. Yeah, that's that's some of my least favorite things to see is rusty filters. Mm -hmm. Like a, because that means it hadn't been changed in a while. Oh yeah, like way past when it was due. Hundred percent. I mean, and it's like, come on, man. (laughs) Just if you if you you know not to not to beat on anybody but if you're going to own a boat it's probably best to inform yourself on what should be serviced and when mm-hmm. and if you choose not to service it then like when it's due don't start calling on your mechanic and acting like oh, i don't know what it could be <laughs> like man I, just, I really have no idea and then you're looking at this rusty filter like hey when was the last time you serviced it? Oh, four years ago i think like when i first got the boat <laughs> really you didn't do any homework on this thing. You just bought it, and it was that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, what about your? I want to know what your car looks like. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the car. Most people have the sticker. You know, you got the sticker. Boats kind of get that that treatment where you don't also think about this. Like, there's a lot of people like seasonality to boating. Where let's say you're up north, you've only got like three four months season, and out mm-hmm. of that three four months. You know, how many of those days do you actually get to take the boat out? So some people don't even put, you know, 40 hours on their boat. So those kinds of people, like, I mean. And and I understand if you only put 40 hours on and you let it go, like, in another year maybe, Mm -hmm. just to try to squeeze out as close to the 100. But if you, like, there's people that really let it go out for years and years on end. Yeah. It's like like multiple years. And it's like, well, I haven't hit the 100-hour mark yet. Okay, it's six years old. <laughs> you don't you don't use the boat. I get it, but you know, age is probably more of a of a killer for an engine than mm-hmm. than running it is. Like yeah. if you if you just run an engine every day, you'll get ridiculous amount of amounts of hours out of this thing, mm-hmm. and it won't break on you in that year. No, you know, compared to the guy who let it sit, and then now you've got you know things that that don't work like they did because they haven't been ran mm-hmm. in so long and. We got rubber components, plastic components, dry rot, you mm-hmm. know, it just Cause corrosion. Because the, the date or the, the spec, I guess, is every 100 hours or one year. Like there's never a, yeah. there's never a service interval that isn't also timed. Yeah. You know? Pre- pretty much every brand has 100-hour service at either 100 hours or one year, whichever mm-hmm. comes first. Yeah. That's, that's pretty. That's why it's often called an annual service. Yeah. Because, you know, you're supposed to do it, even if you only put five hours on it, technically you're supposed to do it once a year. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't, but, but like, like I wouldn't if I put five oh, that's hours. Why I said, I, that's why I said technically, <laughs> you know, I said, I said technically, but. I mean, also, it but also then, depends. But then, let's say you, then it starts compounding. So you, let's say you only put five hours on it a year. Mm-hmm. You'll never hit that hundred. No. Nope. And you'll never service it. Yeah. And now you've got four years of things yep. that have never been serviced. Well, also, um, we had some comments on um, a video about um, one of the lower units getting a lower unit off video. And, um, you know, that that goes back into the time where talking about someone that hasn't taken their lower unit off in five, six years. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, it gets this thing won't come off now. It's it's already and you already blew it. You know, you already blew the lower unit or you're having like overheating issues because your yep. impeller's shot. And there's no going back. There's yeah. no takesies, backsies after you wait that long, mm-hmm. now, especially in salt. Now, if you're up in Michigan, it'll probably come right off. 
Mm-hmm. But if you're in Florida, then you run in salt water. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's already too late. The damage is done. Now you have to try to get it off. And mm-hmm. I I personally have never had one that was so stuck that things had to break for it to come off. That's a lie. Actually, one time at the marina, there was this one lower unit. It was on a two-stroke. Hadn't been serviced in years, like we're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he was having overheating issues. And, you know, it, everything led to, hey, you're not moving water. Like, you need to look at this impeller. When was the last time that, oh, I don't know. That, that lower unit was not coming off. We told him, listen, there is a chance that your lower unit will just break, like, from all mm-hmm. the prying that we have to do. And it, this could turn really expensive. Like, what do you want to do? Do you yep. want us to keep going? Because you're going to be charged by, by time. And damages are on you because we're warning you. Mm-hmm. You know that this is going to happen, and he was like, "No, no, I don't want to do it." He took the boat. I don't know what happened to that ever since, or if they were able to get it off. But, but yeah, you'll you'll really you'll really screw yourself by not not doing your services in time. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them get so bad where, um, like, in all brands too, not just like one brand versus the other. I've seen a Yamaha because they're that drive shafts exposed where it goes up through the oil pump i've seen um a 250 where it just the way it was on the boat water would splash up in there mm-hmm. and i've seen the drive shaft seize inside of the crankshaft oh, to God. where we had to cut a hole in the uh, the spacer for the lower unit and then cut the drive shaft off Pulled the power head out, and and it wouldn't come out. It was it was done. Um, wow! You know, you would, in order to get it out, you would have to disassemble the entire power head. You'd have to yeah, you'd have and, to get the crank and change replaced. and change the crank. Yep. And then I've <laughs> Which also is the centerpiece of the engine. Yeah, your yeah. whole your whole engine is. You might as well buy a new one. Mm-hmm. The amount of labor it would take yeah. to, to you know replace the crankshaft in that thing is not worth it it's not worth it it was on a 3-3 and not only that who'd want to take that job on you know because because you know you take something like that on and then this person doesn't want to pay because it's a giant bill mm-hmm. now it's like whoa you know now you've got an even bigger headache on you legal problems and mm-hmm. all this stuff and i've seen a verado go so same thing so long um i think the person was running it low on oil Mm-hmm. And where they had, where we had the same thing, cut a hole in it, cut the drive shaft, pull the power head off, and um, that one though is it welded. There's a there's a, a um, oil pump drive gear spindle that the drive shaft goes through, and that spins a gear that's that runs the oil pump, and that gear welded itself to the top of the drive shaft. Wow. But I think he was running low on oil, and therefore that was getting hot because that oil pump sits in the top of the oil pan. And then, you know, just through the process of lubrication and splash lubrication, all that, it gets oiled. But didn't change it and kept running low on oil, kept running low on oil. And eventually, like, hey, I want to do a service. Lower unit wouldn't come off. And, I mean, we even tried to chisel the whole nine yards, and it wouldn't come off. So pulled the power head off, and that spindle was welded itself onto the drive shaft. How'd you end up getting it off? Because I feel like if you don't have one of them lower unit spacers, 
Change the spacer. No, I'm saying like if you, because you know, with the Yamaha one, you said you said you drilled the hole and you cut it, right? But you got to do the drive shaft. So the, the midsection is yep. good. So yeah, yeah. now yeah. you're just <laughs> just throw it away, man. You might as well not even if you if you tell somebody, hey, now I have to drill into your midsection to cut this drive shaft. To, yep. Why even go that far? And so it ended you're not up saving being, it. I mean, it did. The engine still ran, but... Well, okay, how did you do that? You changed the... Changed the lower unit, so... No, a, did it come out? Did the drive shaft come out? You yeah. You changed the oil pump, yeah. right? Pulled, so pulled the power just, head off. So it just welded itself to the oil pump in yeah. that, in that no, the, case. Yeah, the drive gear spindle. So, like... I thought that was in the... You got your oil pump, mm-hmm. and there's a gear on the oil pump, and then the spindle that rides the drive shaft, and right. then there's a chain that goes that runs them. Right. Well, the spindle itself welded itself to the drive shaft. Right. So we cut the drive shaft on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, drill the hole in the in the um, drive shaft housing, and then cut it off, and then pulled the power head, pulled the spindle and the drive shaft out, and then just put a new spindle with a new lower unit on it, and a new drive shaft housing. Luckily, it happened like that in that case. So you could save it. Mm-hmm. But did you have to replace the drive shaft housing too? Yep. How much was that ticket? I mean, I have no idea. That's I mean, we we found a used drive shaft housing, so that was only a few hundred bucks just because, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to say it's the longest job in the world, but. It was, it was probably like. Yeah, I guess you already had the power head off. So that makes changing the midsection and everything easier. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're already here. You might as well just. Yep. But I mean, it was it was all up probably eight grand, nine, ten. I mean, that was that was back when you can get a lower unit for less. So mm-hmm. he probably had six grand in the lower unit. I was gonna say a couple grand it, in in labor. Aren't like Verado lower units, or weren't they for like eight grand for a while? Do that. Those lower units are probably like eight, nine grand now. That's if not more. That's I mean crazy. everything's. That's crazy. Going way up. Mm-hmm. Just to think, you'd, you, well, I guess it technically makes up a third of your engine. <laughs> <laughs> You're paying a third of what your engine costs just yep. to get a, a new lower unit. Which makes that's, it, that's why it's important to service your stuff. Yeah, yeah. If I you mean, just, if you service regularly, mm-hmm. you won't encounter, you won't encounter dumb things like that. Yeah, if you're in salt water. Especially brand new stuff too, because brand new stuff comes with no grease. Mm-hmm. There's there's Loctite on all your bolts and stuff. So, if you got a brand new engine, even like for your first year or even your second year, even if you haven't reached to where you need the impeller, just go ahead and do it. At the minimal, you know you don't have to change the impeller, even though you're only going to save yourself thirty bucks. But mm-hmm. even if you don't want to do that, at least drop the lower unit grease up the bolts and the in the drive shaft and then slide it back up in there so you at least can get it off when you get to it yep because you know technically it's 300 hours or three years but corrosion can get you pretty good in three years mm-hmm. if you don't hit them 300 hours and you never greased it in those three years it can it, it's gonna be fun it can get bad you. i mean it, it's it's unfortunate i mean and changing the lower unit um, or pulling it off isn't terrible. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can pull a lower unit off and then put it back on in half yeah. hour or less. Yeah. And there's all kinds of videos on YouTube about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen I lived in one place when I was in the Keys 
in this complex, there was, I don't know, it was like one in the morning. Sometimes I keep hearing all this racket, like I, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I go outside, and there's these two guys. They've got this this boat with, I think it was an Opti on the back. Yeah, it was, it was an Opti on the back. And um, they're like trying to get the lower unit on. And the one guy is laying on the ground with the engine completely vertical, pushing the lower unit up into the thing. I'm like, why don't you just trim it up, man? Like, he's like, oh, no, you, you have to do it this way on this engine. Like, you just, you, you can't do it any other way. I'm like, okay, what? All right, I guess. Who taught him that? I don't know. Sometimes it's like, you know, because I doubt he just came up with that if he's being that, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, it's got to be this way. You know, somebody must have told him that. Yeah. And somebody that he trusts and he shouldn't trust that person anymore because you know, that was bad information, man. Now that I think about it, though, um, some of those opties do have that spacer ring up underneath the crank that falls down. You know which one I'm talking about? No, you got to remember, when was the first Optimax released? Yeah. Oh, 1997. That's five years older than me. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of Opti's stopped being ran. Yeah. When I I came into the industry. Well, there there is, so I think it's like the 135s, 150s, something like that. And there's a little like spacer ring that can slide down. I mean, what I usually do is put some grease on a on a stick and stick it up in there and like try and grease it into place, but it will fall down and block it from going up. But I think these guys were just... I can't say I ever encountered that because I know that um, CJ's dad had a smaller Opti, mm-hmm. older Opti too. They don't always do it. Just sometimes it does. Okay, yeah. I will yeah. learn something new, but... but no, I know, I remember we had a we had a big struggle getting the lower unit up, but it wasn't because anything was blocking it. It was just because this was before. It's funny. There was four of us. Oh no! Two, two of us were just watching. Two of us were just watching, going like, you know what I mean? Because because this was right when we graduated high school, and not none of us had like any actual experience. I'd never touched an outboard, right? Which is weird considering I grew up in the Keys, but. <laughs> You know, we all had this idea we wanted to be mechanics and go to school for it. <laughs> and before going to school, CJ's dad was like, hey, you guys are going to be mechanics. Might as well get some practice now. Let's go ahead and change this impeller in my hands. <laughs> they go, oh, I can get some free labor out of these kids. You uh-huh. know I mean? And then it just ended up being a nightmare getting that lower unit back up. None of us had the technique. <laughs> How do you line up the splines? You know, just going nuts. And then the shift shaft. And then, oh, it was just... It was the worst, but one thing right after another. Yeah, but luckily, luckily nothing fell down to block the drive shaft because mm-hmm. if that was the case, we would have all been screwed. We would have been like, I know, I never even seen a motor. How, how am I supposed to know what just blocked this drive shaft? Why isn't it coming up all the way? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the stories, the things that you see. Yeah, yeah. But no, we got any other questions? Always fun. Uh, just a couple. Um, we've got one where this guy's asking, where is a good place to get Yamaha decals? Mm. I would have thought eBay, eBay or Amazon. I'm sure you can buy the kits. There's you want to go for a cheap option. 
there's a website like I don't think I think I've used them once. It's like outboard decals or something like that. Mm-hmm. Out- yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, Outboarddecals.com. Is that I it? W- I want to say it's .com. Okay. It's definitely outboarddecals. But it could be .net. Yeah, and I think they got pretty much everything. So <laughs> I doubt it's .net. Yeah, I doubt that. But like iCarly said, .net is for losers. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> hey, it's from a kids show, not not my words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's where I'd go. I'd, I'd look on there first because they, I mean, those badges can get stupid expensive. I mean, you could you could probably spend a grand if you're just buying, putting the stickers on from you know an OEM. Yeah, if you're buying an OEM set of stickers, mm-hmm. just don't even do it. Yeah. Just just do what you do every time and just spray paint the whole engine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're probably not not the right person to ask about decals. I've never seen you put decals on anything. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're always just like, no one's gonna know what this is. Let's take this 25 Merc, spray paint it. Jamaha Gray. <laughs> it no looked decals. good, didn't it? It did look pretty good. I mean, for what it is, it looked pretty. It looked pretty slick. I I like but that. But you could have put a Yamaha sticker on it. A no. Yamaha decal that you get for a hundred bucks on outboarddecals.com. Well, I wanted to put like just a random sticker. Like I wanted to put like a Kubota sticker, or maybe like a Bobcat sticker, yeah. or a John Deere sticker. Uh, we got to start kitting out our our boats with like automotive <laughs> premium like the upper tier badges yeah the, AMG. but we gotta like almost sticker bomb them you know what i mean where it's just on top of each other amg m series <laughs> some 5.0 badges you know what i mean ltz <laughs> z71s <laughs> just just get out of motor and what the heck is that yeah you're in the wrong industry bud <laughs> yeah but it, it makes people it keeps it lively, you know. They mm-hmm. feel like, "What is that?" You know, but mm-hmm. and all them, all them stories that that we were just bringing up reminded me of the marina and our time there. Yeah, and a couple of people have been asking what we're kind of doing. Like, you know, there's been a lot of people asking about us being at the marina. Mm-hmm. We're not there anymore. No, and no. We are also not roommates. <laughs> That's a big one too. People are keep asking about like, are we roommates? Yeah, so okay. Let me get the story straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, no, not roommates and no, we don't I mean we still go down there and yeah. do stuff. Um we'll still work with the marina. Yeah, hundred percent comes in and they need yeah. some extra hands, but yeah. yeah. But we're not we're not employees there anymore. We're actually up doing our mobile thing. Mm-hmm. Out of a Honda Element. Out of the Honda rig. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about that last week, didn't we? The greatest service vehicle ever of all time. <laughs> no debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, not at the marina. Uh, we still go, I mean, we do stuff with them. I think we actually, we're going to go down there and help do some repower stuff here. We might. Coming up. Yeah. Yeah, we and might then, have a couple of repowers lined up. I've actually, one of the things we got going on, I need to get that trim rod or that tilt rod for my bully netter so we can finish the bully netter and get all that, I mean, mm-hmm. all that content published. Is that what it is? It's the, mm-hmm. it's just the rod for the tilt? Yep. The top all- of the tilt rod broke off. Oh. And so I've got to change that out. So I, I got to call them down there and get that ordered. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, we do that. I don't, I think can't be cheap. No, it's a, 
mean, it's a couple hundred bucks. It's a 25 horse, so it's not too big of a dent in the pocket, but it's a couple hundred bucks. That's for sure. Hey, it's a couple hundred so, bucks. <laughs> that's, that's a dent. Yeah. So, Small dent. <laughs> so we'll do that. Um, yeah, we, we still, we still work with them, but, um, yeah, no, nope, not at the Marine anymore. Um, trying to do more content, bring you guys more stuff. It's part of it. Yeah. In order to bring you more content, we had to change it up so we could have more days to record and edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Oh, yeah. We've been on here we for should, a minute. Yeah. We so, should probably get this wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. Let's well, anyway, wrap good, her up. It was a good chat. It was. It was. This is a good, this is a good show. This was fun. I like yeah. this. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, if you guys want any us to cover a topic just go ahead and drop a comment below or you can email us at askbab at bornagainboating.com and we will bring on the discussion and give you our opinions and what we know who we know and if we can help you out yeah all right everybody see you next time